today is Pentecost, and as we heard last week, it's often called the birth of the church. Ten days before, Jesus had ascended in front of his disciples, he'd given them his last instructions, and then before their very eyes, he was taken up into heaven. And the two angels had to come and tell the disciples to stop staring. He'd gone, but he would come back. And, uh, and they dispersed. And you would think that would be sufficient. They had probably had the most supernatural experience that is possible to have. They had encountered the risen Christ. They had seen a dead man alive. They had spent time with him. They had walked with him. They had talked with him. They knew the miraculous was taking place. They knew that Jesus was God, God's son. And you'd think, you'd think, wouldn't you, that that encounter would have been sufficient. But though they had seen him, Though they had touched him, though they'd listened to him, though they trusted him, they were not yet ready to be his witness bearers. All of them believed Jesus. They believed. But for witness bearing, for carrying the gospel to the world, that wasn't enough. Enthusiasm, spiritual experience, encounters, it wasn't sufficient to equip them for the task that God had for them. Because it was vitally important that to be effective, they dare not do it in their own strength. God had planned a new power, a new fullness in their lives that would carry the gospel to the world. And that is what the disciples got at Pentecost. That new power and that fullness of the Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God was with them. It was God, but in the form of the Holy Spirit. They were changed from convinced believers into empowered, equipped witnesses for Jesus Christ. Without it, their enthusiasm would have fizzled out. Without it, the memory of what they had seen would have become dim. Without the fullness and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they would have ended up in Galilee, living good lives, but trying in their own strength to make a difference. What God wanted to do was to give them strength and give them power, but with God, the Holy Spirit came in power. And that was mightier than any argument. That power of the Holy Spirit enabled them to face obstacles and overcome. To, to face the lash, to face prison, and to still persevere. It was that power of God in them that turned them into effective witnesses for the Lord Jesus. And that is what God has in store for all. Of his children. I'm just going to read Acts chapter 2, um, the verse, uh, verses 1 to 21, re recounts the story once again. And then we just want to see 
what this teaches us and what we can learn from the Scriptures. So, Acts uh, chapter 2, starting at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun. And they said, they've had too much wine. But then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God can be trusted. I know you know that, but we need to say it once more, that God can be trusted. He has good gifts for his children. He doesn't give you bad gifts. He doesn't give you gifts that are of no use. God is a good father, and he can be trusted and he is in control. And that's the first thing I want to take out of this passage, that we can trust God because he is sovereign, he is in control, and all things are under his feet. The timing and purposes of God are perfect. As for God, his way is perfect. 2 Samuel 22, Psalm 18. There is no deceit. There are no lies. There, there is no darkness in God. God is light. God knows what he's doing. He doesn't make mistakes, and he doesn't do anything by chance. This brief passage in history, God is all over this. God has planned it. God knows exactly what he wants, and he knows exactly what he's doing. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the incarnation, it fulfilled countless Old Testament prophecies. God planned was being revealed. When Jesus died at Passover, 
all part of God's plan. We know the story of Passover, don't we? That when the children of Israel were, were on the verge of being liberated from Egypt, they had to kill a lamb and put the blood on the lintels and the doorposts. And by that sacrifice, by that blood, they were released from bondage and their lives were spared. They were rescued. And at that time, at the time of Passover, God sent his son to die, the perfect lamb, to die once and for all. At Passover, it had to be because that was God's lamb, God's son, dying for you and for me. The day after the Passover Sabbath, the first day of the week, that was a, a very special time for the Jews because that was the wave offering. And the Jews would gather with the first fruits of barley from the first harvest. And the priest would wave it before the Lord in the temple. That was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, calls it the first fruits from the dead. Can you see the plan of God? Can you see that he died at Passover, the Passover lamb, and that on the day he rose was the day the Jews celebrated the first fruits of the first harvest? He is the first fruits. He died that we might live. And consider, consider the plan of God here. It's remarkable in verse 5, isn't it? What a coincidence that in Jerusalem, it was full of God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now, that didn't happen every day. So, why do you think God chose this day? Well, this was, for the Jews, the Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot. 49 days after the Passover was the Feast of Weeks. And it was one of the three pilgrimage feasts of the Jews. So that Jews from every nation under heaven would have been in Jerusalem for the feast. And in this feast, they celebrated two things. They celebrated the giving of the Torah, the word, to Moses on Mount Sinai, 49 days after the Passover and they left Egypt. God gave the law to Moses on Sinai. And this is what they celebrate, the giving of the word. And God chooses this day to give his spirit. Also, this feast, Shavuot, was the first fruits of the second harvest. The barley harvest was first after Passover, and this was the wheat harvest. And they would bring an offering. They would gather in Jerusalem to give of their offering the first fruits of the second harvest. God chose these moments carefully, and God can be trusted. God has a plan, and God has a purpose. This wasn't just chance. This wasn't just random. This was planned. The death and the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit are all planned, and God has a purpose in it all. Take heart and be encouraged. Because when you come to God, you are safe in Him. 
Now, I don't know what circumstances you are going through. It may be financial issues. It may be a period of dryness. It, it may be um, health. It may be family matters. There's a whole host of things that we go through. But we need to understand that when we come to God, we come to a God that we can trust. We come to a God who is in control. And we come to a God that has a plan and a purpose. Be encouraged. Be strong. Because God will deliver you. He is a big God. He's a loving, a kind, a merciful, a gracious, a faithful God. He's our Father. He's our deliverer, our healer, our provider. He is all this and much more. In Ephesians 3, it says he is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or think. He is able. He is able to give you the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but he is able to do other mighty works in you and I as well. Do not fear the fullness and the power of God. Be passionate and desirous for it. Reach out. I was sitting in my lounge last night and I was watching some uh, Christian music and, and there was a line that just really pierced my heart. And the song was saying, I am not enough. And it just hit the nail on the head for me. We are not enough in our own strength. I am not enough. We need the power of God breathing life and breathing fullness into each and every one of us. Not only can we trust God, not only is God all over this, and we can take comfort and strength from that, whatever our circumstances, notice the strange thing that happened to the disciples, what they were asked to do. I've already said that they'd had the most dynamic spiritual encounter you could ever wish for. They'd seen a dead man walking. They had seen the power of the risen Christ. And you would think that having had that experience, that would have been sufficient. That they would have immediately, having seen Jesus ascended, run across the whole of Israel saying, he is risen, I've seen Jesus, he is alive with the message of the gospel. You'd think that God had got them to such a fever pitch, such full of enthusiasm and passion, by what they'd experienced, you'd have thought that they would have just gone for it. And what did, what did Jesus ask them to do? Well, we see it in Acts 1. They were told to wait. They'd seen all these amazing things. They'd seen God's power. They'd seen his risen son, and really? I've got to wait? Why? Why have I got to wait? They felt they were ready. They had seen Jesus. They understood it all. But Jesus said, no. If you trust me, if I am Lord of your life, if you know that I am in control and I've got your plans and purposes and I've got it all in my hand, I need you now to wait. How frustrating. How tedious. 
We don't enjoy waiting, do we? I don't, anyway. Trip to the supermarket is a huge competition for me. I'm very scientific. I go up and down, and I pick, I pick the queue that I know is going to be quickest. Never, never works. There's always somebody that has something that's accidentally opened and needs it replacing. Always something that doesn't have a barcode on. Whatever, however skilled I like to think I am, I never actually get through quickly. I don't like waiting. Interestingly, the Seven Bridge. That was a huge competition for me. As I, as I drove and I saw car after car, car after car, I knew, the, I knew the lane I needed to go in. Never worked out. Never worked out. They dropped their change or they didn't have their card or something always went wrong. We don't like waiting. We don't like waiting. But however painful, however unnecessary it seems, God knows what he's doing. Whoever we are, we need the fullness of the Holy Spirit and we need God to move in us and through us and we need to wait for his purposes to be revealed. He never makes mistakes, but he's never late for anything either. At just the right time, God sent his Holy Spirit. At just the right time, God will move in you and through you. At just the right time for this church, God will breathe his power and his life in us and through us. In Galatians 4, it talks about the incarnation. It says, when the fullness of time has come. The fullness of time. God knows what he's about. We must trust him because he's a good God. And we must obey him even if the commands are not fully understood, whether that be waiting or whether that be anything else. It's very, very important, very important that we go with God and not before Him, that we, we go with God and not lag behind Him. We keep in step with God. We keep in step with His Spirit at, at His direction. When we're in the valley, we want to speed up. We want to get through it. But God's walking. Walk with him. When we get to the mountaintop, when we see the glories, we want to stay. And God says, no, come. There's another valley we need to go through. God is sovereign. God is in control. And as we live and work in his kingdom and for him, we must go at God's pace. We must trust him in all that he says and does. We honor God in the waiting. Sometimes we don't know how it's going to work out. Sometimes we don't know why we wait, but we honor God if we look to him and we trust him, knowing that he knows best. But the, the followers of Jesus, the disciples, they weren't... They weren't just twiddling their thumbs. You can wait in so many different ways, can't you? I suppose you can wait reluctantly. 
What am I doing here? Why am I waiting? Why isn't things happening? What, what, what's God doing? We can wait expectantly, knowing that God has asked us to wait for this season, but that he will come. And that sense of expectancy is what these disciples had. They were full of faith, and they honored God by waiting. He had told them to wait, and they did. You see, God was the giver. God was the source. Whatever was going to happen was all of God. They could do nothing. They were helpless without God showing up. We think we have a measure of control in our lives, and to an extent we do. We can make decisions, and we can make calls and do things and go places. But God knows best. And a life submitted to God, a life given over to Him, where we trust Him that He is in control, we trust that He knows best for us, we, we will wait for Him because our expectation and all we are is looking to Him. That humility and patience and faith gives an expectancy that God will do it. They waited for 10 days. They could have waited longer. All they knew they had to do was that Jesus had said, wait, and they were going to do so. We can also wait indifferently. We can say, what does it matter? God shows, okay, if he doesn't, I don't care. That indifference is something we must guard against. Don't be reluctant when you are looking to God. Don't be indifferent when you are waiting on God. Be expectant. Hang on to him with all your might. Seek his face with all your heart. It's not a half-hearted relationship. This is all or nothing. Either Jesus Christ is Lord or he isn't. Either you want the fullness of God in your life or you don't. Either this church will be full of the glory of God or we'll just play church and play time and hang on in there. We need God to move in power and we can trust him to do what is right and we can trust him to wait when he says wait and we can trust him that when he says he will do it, he will do it. We can be expectant in him. I think I've mentioned before that when I was born, God gave um, my father promises over me. And I have only learned of those promises when I was in my teens, when dad felt I was old enough to understand. And I've waited 35 years. That's a long time. Waited 35 years. But through it all, there has been an expectancy that God would do it. And God is doing it. God is bringing it to pass. Slowly but surely, God is bringing it to pass. 35 years. I hope you don't have to wait so long. But the timing of God is perfect. You can trust him. 
because he's promised good things. If only God can do it. If God is all you have, then you have all you need. If only God can do it, and God is all you have, then you have all you need. He is God, and we can have as much of Him as we choose. It's a hard thing. What do you give your life to? Do you compartmentalize your life? Do you have your job, and then your family time, and then this, and then that, and then the hobbies, and then, and then your God bit? God isn't Lord of everything. Then what is he Lord of? The fullness of the Spirit, the fullness of God in our lives, is so vitally important, so incredibly important, that we dare not play on the fringes any longer. This is a, a call for us as a church. Are we going to move on in God or are we going to flounder? Are we going to hang back? Don't despair. Don't give up because God always shows up but we must wait expectantly. As I was preparing this, it's funny, isn't it, how God just put silly illustrations across your path. Now, you can probably see from my waistline that I'm a man that enjoys a good piece of toast. Burnt bread, lashings of butter, the choice of toppings are endless. I love a piece of toast. Normally, and I guess you will as well, but normally the experience is not in front of an audience. It's something that you can enjoy in the privacy of your own home and then get on with your day. Well, when I do toast in my house, I have two dogs <laughs> that instinctively know that this is their moment. And as I sit and I eat my toast, I have two dogs sat looking at me. Their eyes do not shift from me. They wait, they wait patiently, but they wait expectantly. You see, they can't do toast themselves. I've tried to train them. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. My dogs need me for toast. And sometimes they, they are so, and this is a little bit disgusting, but you'll bear with me. They are so expectant that their saliva just forms droplets on the floor because they know that I'm going to give them toast. I know I shouldn't, but I can't resist. And sometimes when I'm trying to be strong and I look at them, they will do this tilting of the head, which makes them even more beguiling. But they, they honor me in the waiting and the expectancy. They don't go to anybody else. They come to me because I'm the man with the toast. 
And it, it challenged me. They are an example, if you like, how to wait full of expectancy and not be distracted. You could have the Coldstream guards playing on my front lawn. They would not be interested because their eyes are on me. And I just, I just want to encourage and challenge us. How expectant are we? Is it life itself? Does it matter that much to us? Because it should. We are not our own anymore. And despite our circumstances and difficulties and all that life throws at us, we must have God. We must have all of Him, not just part of Him. The outcome for the disciples was incredible. It was remarkable. The Holy Spirit came. It fell upon them. It filled them. It empowered them. It changed them. They were transformed men and women. They were no longer afraid, and they were no longer ashamed. And there was no longer any cost that they weren't prepared to pay to serve Jesus. Everything had changed. They were different. They were full of God's power and they preached the word, not in their own strength, but in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 4, in, uh, in chapter 11, in chapter 19, we see continued outpourings of Jews and Gentiles outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't, I don't care what terminology you use. Filling, baptism, it, it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is that if we are the Lord's, if we serve Jesus, then we must be full of God. We must have all the fullness of Christ and of God dwelling in us, as the Scriptures say. And God has chosen to do that by His Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. The mystery of the Trinity. But the Holy Spirit is God Himself. And we must have the fullness of God in us. Both individually and as a church. Ephesians 5 talks about keep being filled. The, the being filled with the Spirit is a is a continual present tense. It's like turning on the tap and never turning it off again. And that's the resources of God. I'm forever going around after the kids, turning taps off and turning lights out. God never turns the tap off. He's opened the tap. His Holy Spirit is there, the fullness of God pouring out on us. And it never runs dry. Always the power and the fullness of God for us, for now, for today. We need the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we see in 1 Corinthians 12. We need His gifting. We need the fruit of the Spirit, that as we're filled with His Spirit, fruit in our lives becomes apparent. God is wanting to turn the taps on in your life and in this place. He wants the tap to flow. He wants that, that stream, that river that we heard of prophetically earlier for us to 
Jump in, swim in, dive in. Not watch as it goes by. Not paddle. Wants us to just emerge, immerse ourselves in the fullness and the power of God. Will we be expectant? Will we be obedient? Will we seek God for more of Him? For more of Jesus? For more of His Spirit? For more of His goodness? He has good things in store for us. He has good things in store for you. But trust Him, obey Him, and expect. Trust Him always. Obey Him always, no matter how frustrating it may be. But when you are approaching Him, be expectant. Not reluctant, not indifferent. We need to do business with God. We need to say, we are not enough, and we need you, Lord, to fall upon us. As the musicians come, I just wondered if we could just stand. I'm just going to pray over us, and then we're going to respond in worship, respond in prayer, respond in our hearts to the, the fullness of God and all that God has in store for us. If you can just... If you're able, just open your arms, lift your hands. Just focus on Jesus. Focus on God. Father, we give you our dryness. We give you our reluctance. We give you, Lord, our disappointments. We give you our fears. We give you our hurts. We give you our selfishness. We give you, Lord, our coldness, our indifference. Lord, we, we bring it to you. And we say, Lord, we are not enough. We need you, Lord. We need your power. We need your fullness. We need your glory. From the youngest to the oldest. Lord God, we cry out to you. Come, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you fall upon us? Would you change our hearts? Lord God, would you give us your power, your goodness, your fullness, your glory? Lord, it's all of you. We can't do this any longer, Lord. We need the touch of heaven. We need the fullness of God. We need you walking, Lord, in our lives, in our midst. We need you, Lord, every day. Lord, we don't just want you on a Sunday. We want you every day of the week. Lord, give us an expectancy and a hunger and a thirst and a desire for more of you. Forgive us, Lord, for, for how we have been content with having a small part of you. Forgive us, Lord, that we have been content, Lord, with, with less than your best. Oh, Lord, we cry out in our hearts, Lord. With lifted hands, we say, Father, fall upon us. Send your Holy Spirit. Send your fullness and your glory. Oh, Lord, in Jesus' name. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus. All of you, Lord. All of you. Fall upon us now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.